We're going to go ahead and get started as we have been studying the book of Ezekiel. We're on lesson 10, which I have titled Israel, the Useless Vine, looking particularly at chapter 15, and then we'll move into 16. So again, we are studying Ezekiel. Uh, Ezekiel was a prophet during the time of the Babylonian sieges of Jerusalem, uh, the exile uh Ezekiel was one of the one of the people taken in exile during the second Babylonian invasion, which occurred around uh, 597 BC, and we're kind of in that period in between the second and third stages. I didn't move my red arrow. We'll get to that next week, maybe. Uh, and we are in the in the chiastic outline that I have here, we're in the in the oracles of judgment, which run from chapters uh, 12 through 23. And we're talking particularly about the judgment upon Israel. Uh, we're going to get into some other things later, but uh, right now we're focused on Israel. And the exiles in their captivity, in their exile uh, in, in Babylon, or south of Babylon, uh, they are of the mindset that that their exile is a temporary thing, that that it's just going to last for a while, they're going to go back, that the temple is still standing, Jerusalem is still standing. Uh, there is a king in Jerusalem, a Jewish king in Jerusalem, uh, and they're all going to go back and things are going to pick up where they left off. Uh, but this lesson today is particularly pointed at this idea that everything's okay and everything's going to be okay. So we will get into that. You know, I, I have put this verse up for the last couple weeks uh, from First Thessalonians 5.3, which is talking about end times. While they are saying, peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly. And... The Jews of this time in history, uh, in the, this period before the destruction of the temple, uh, we're saying that in essence. You know, we're relatively at peace. We have a king in Jerusalem. We are not besieged. Uh, and things are going to get back to normal. But Ezekiel had a different message for them. God called to him. God appeared to him in in <laughs> no, I'm sorry, Charlie. Uh, God called to him in uh, his day and gave him messages. He he shut his mouth and told him to only speak when God gave him a message to speak, or only allowed him to speak when God had revealed something to him. So when, when he talked, uh, people needed to listen. Uh, and God gave him messages that we're going to look at today uh, that, again, point out the things that, that it, Israel and Jerusalem in particular were doing to incur God's wrath. Now, we hear frequently about the vine referring to the nation of Israel. Uh, 
in, in Genesis 49.11, and this is a messianic prophecy, uh, Genesis 49.11 says this, He ties his foal to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine. He washes his garments in wine and his robes in the blood of grapes. Uh, and, and also, yes, Genesis 49.11. And in Numbers 13.23, uh, it says this, Then they came to the valley of Eshcol. And from there, this is during the, the time of return when they sent the spies into Canaan. Uh, they came to the valley of Eshcol, and there cut down a branch with a single cluster of grapes and carried it on a pole between two men with some of the pomegranates and the figs. So the vine sometimes was an illustration of bounty and, and plenty and the taking care of the, the, the people. A bad vine could illustrate the wickedness of man. And Deuteronomy 32.32 says this, For their vine is from the vine of Sodom and from the fields of Gomorrah. Their grapes are grapes of poison. Their clusters bitter. That's from Deuteronomy 32.32. And then uh, Jotham used uh, a vine uh, as a figure in a story. If we look at Judges uh, 9, verses 12 and 13, says this, Then the trees said to the vine, You come reign over us. But the vine said to them, Shall I leave my new wine, which cheers God and men, and go to wave over the trees? The nation of Israel was compared to a vine. In Psalm 80, verses 8 through 19, I'm not going to read it all. Uh, verses 8 and 9 say, You removed a vine from Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground before it, and it took deep root and filled the land. Also, Israel was compared to a vineyard in Isaiah 5, verses 1 through 7. Let me sing now for my well-beloved a song of my beloved concerning his vineyard, which is referring to Israel. My well-beloved had a vineyard on a fertile hill. He dug around it, removed its stones, and planted it with the choicest vine. So the vine paints a picture for us. Uh, I guess I've, yeah. The, the vine has painted a picture for us that we can look at and, and we see different pictures. Uh, in Hosea 10.1, Israel is a, is a luxuriant vine. He produces fruit for himself. The more his fruit, the more altars he made. The richer his hand, the better he made the sacred pillars. So Israel was this land of plenty with fruit. In Jeremiah 2.21 says this about Israel. Yet I planted you a choice vine, a completely faithful seed. How then have you turned yourself before me into the degenerate shoots of a foreign vine? And Ezekiel used this illustration of a vine later. We're going to be in chapter 15, by the way, so if you want to turn there. 
In verse in chapter 17 and 19, Israel again uses the vine as an illustration. And in the New Testament, Jesus used the illustration of the vine or the, uh, to illustrate the rebellious house of Israel in his day. In Luke chapter 20, verses 9 through 19, says this, And he began to tell the people this parable. And it's a familiar parable. A man planted a vineyard and rented it out to the vine growers. Again, using the illustration of a vine to illustrate disobedient Israel. And a vine was also used frequently to illustrate the relationship that Jesus had with his people. We see in John 15, uh, this, this verse, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. So all of these illustrations of a vine bring us now to, to this part of Ezekiel that we're going to study and start in chapter 15. And as we get started, let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are the vine dresser. You, you prune the vine to, to bear fruit. Uh, you bring us correction and, and discipline in order that we might grow closer to you, that we might be more obedient to you. You love us as your sons. You correct us as your sons. And we just thank you for your word that gives us a guide to tell us how we should live. Help us to see your truth this morning and to bring honor and glory to you in all that we say and do here today. In Christ's name I pray, amen. All right, so we're going to look at Ezekiel 15, verses 1 through 3. Uh, I'm in the wrong place. There we go. Uh, Ezekiel 15, verses 1 through 3 says this, Then the word of the Lord came to me, Ezekiel, saying, Son of man, how is the wood of the vine better than any wood of a branch which is among the trees of the forest? Can wood be taken from it, from the vine, to make anything? Or can men take a peg from it on which to hang any vessel? So in this illustration, there's a couple of things that we need to note. Um, you know, Ezekiel... Uh, might have been answering a, a question or, or a protest that, you know, again, I mentioned that the people of Israel that were in exile with, with Ezekiel were denying that anything bad was going to happen, that, that everything was going to get restored. And Ezekiel was using this illustration now given by God to kind of answer that and, and to say, you know, the people might have been saying something like, you know, we are his chosen vine. He planted us in Israel. Would he take and uproot and, and get rid of this thing that he created? We're God's special people. Nothing like what you're saying is going to happen to us. And I think we're going to see here that, that, you know, God is clearly saying, yes, I will. You know, this false sense of security that the people have uh, you know, they were, they were the chosen people of God, the privileged people of God. They had the law like we talked about before. They had the temple that was the envy of the world. They had the leadership, this fruitful land that they live in that, that God had given them 
But here, <clears throat> Ezekiel is given this picture of a vine that's different than what we think of a lot. I'll go back to this picture. Nope, I won't. <laughs> yeah, there it is. Uh, so I go to this picture, and you see what? I mean, when you think of a grapevine, this is the picture that you kind of get in mind. And that's kind of what I wanted to illustrate with this picture. Yet what what is missing from this discussion in Ezekiel 15 of the vine, the, the fruit is never mentioned in this passage. You'll see as we go through it. Whether the absence of fruit or the presence of fruit. The fruit's not even considered here. All we're talking about in Ezekiel 15 is the, is the wood, the wood of the vine. How much good is the, is the wood of a vine? You know, is, is wood taken from the wood of a grapevine to do anything with? You can't make a table with it. I don't want to say nothing because I know in the, in the mountains of the Adirondacks you can buy chairs made from it, but it is a weak wood. It's not a strong wood. It's not even very good to build a fire with. It is, it is soft. So this idea that you can't take a, take a peg to hang something on, it, it's not, it doesn't have the strength for that like a hardwood wood or a, the wood from a forest. Uh, it's fragmented. It's, it's twisted and, and is really not good to build anything. So if it's not producing fruit, how much good is a grapevine? Uh, and that's the kind of picture that, that we're starting with here with, with Ezekiel. You know, the vine's crooked. It can't be used for building anything. Uh, it burns quickly, uh, so it's not that great for fire. Uh, it's soft, so it can't be used to build anything uh, to hang a vessel on, as, as Ezekiel says. You know, it's good for nothing. Uh, it, it, it's really good for nothing. So let's continue on. Ezekiel 15, starting at verse 4. If it has been put in the fire for fuel and the fire has consumed both ends and its middle part has been charred, then it is useful. Is it useful? Sorry, is it then useful for anything? And the answer to that is no. Behold, while it is intact, it is not made into anything. How much less when the fire has consumed it and it is charred, can it still be made any, into anything? Even the ashes weren't any good for anything. You know, Ezekiel's, uh, you know, it, it's it's thrown into a fire just to dispose of it, to get rid of it. It's not thrown into the fire to make anything. Sometimes, you know, we know we can uh, sharpen a, a spear by putting the end into the fire and, and working it down makes it harder sometimes if you're making it out of the right wood. But obviously this won't work with a, with a vine. So, you know, a, a grapevine that is not yielding fruit is, is nothing. And Israel is being called this this vine uh, so continuing on Ezekiel 15 6, 6 therefore says the Lord God 
as the wood of the vine among the trees of the forest, which I have given to the fire for fuel, so have I given up the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And I set my face against them. Though they have come out of the fire, yet the fire will consume them. Then you will know that I am the Lord when I set my face against them. So God is describing the people of Jerusalem like that worthless wood that comes from a vine. You know, they bore no fruit, uh, and the remainder of this vine with no fruit was, was like the wood of the vine in the forest, that it was good for nothing. You couldn't build anything with it. The only thing that it's good for is burning. You know, Jesus uh, says here that, that he's going to uh, that he's going to throw them into the fire like like the worthless vine gets thrown into the fire just to get rid of it. He's going to send them through fire and when fire has consumed them, even if they survive that fire, they're going to go from one calamity to the next. And Jesus says here that He is going to turn uh, this. I'm not sure how to phrase it. I'll just read it again. Then you will know that I am the Lord when I set my face against them. If there's one person or one entity that you don't want to have against you, I believe it's the face of God. If God is bringing you to judgment, that judgment will be sure. If God is bringing you to discipline, that discipline will be sure. Uh, and God here is judging Israel for the things that she's done. So now, you know, the last verse here in Ezekiel 15, Thus I will make the land desolate, because they have acted unfaithfully, declares the Lord God. We've been reading in the last several chapters about the things that Israel did to deserve this punishment that God is bringing. And it's... It's horrific. You know, he, uh, you know, this wasn't just a one-time sin that the nation of Israel <clears throat> had done. They've been turning their backs on him for years and years and decades. You know, the northern tribes turned their back on him, and he, he dispersed them through the conquest of the, or when the Assyrians take and carried them away, they were dispersed. And, and the southern tribes in Judah, even with that as a warning, still persisted in their disobedience. So many of the kings, as we read through the history of, of Israel at this time, so many of the kings were not good kings and did, did abominations in the sight of the Lord. So the judgment of God is not based on any single act by the nation, but rather by a persistent determination to be disobedient. It wasn't just a you know one-time thing. That, you know, they were given warnings. The prophets came and told them what was going to happen. The warnings fell on deaf ears, and they continued in their disobedience time and time and time again. So this, it was this, you know, not, not a single uh, trespass or sin, but they have been so perpetually disobedient, trespassing against God, that, that it, it was a deserved punishment that was coming. Which brings us to chapter 16. And chapter 15 was one of the shortest chapters in this book. 
Chapter 16 is one of the longest. And chapter 16 is described by one commentator as the most graphic uh, compilation of Israel's sins uh, in the entire Bible. The, The sins of Israel were mentioned many, many times in different books and in different situations, different circumstances and stuff. But this this chapter, chapter 16 here, has a, another compilation of the list of the grievances uh, that God has against the nation of Israel and their list of their sins. I'm not going to go into a lot of the graphic detail here for various and sundry reasons, uh, but we're going to look into some of this. And, you know, what what is it that God has against the people of Israel. So starting at verse 16, verse 1, Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Again, this is important to know, this is God speaking, not just Ezekiel speaking out of his own heart, like the prophets we studied last week. You know, there were a lot of prophets that that came to the house of Israel that were telling telling everybody everything was going to be rosy because that's what they wanted. Uh, looking at the world through rose-colored glasses doesn't help uh, in this situation. So these, this word of God is the word of God. Listen to the prophets that speak from the word of God, not, not from their own hearts or for their own gain. Son of man, make known to Jerusalem her abominations. Abominations, that's a strong word, folks. And say, thus says the Lord God to Jerusalem, your origin and your birth are from the land of the Canaanite. Your father was an Amorite and your mother a Hittite. Again, Amorites and Hittites were the people that were in the land of Canaan when Israel was brought out of Egypt. As for your birth, the day you were born, your navel cord was not cut, nor were you washed with water for cleansing You were not rubbed with salt or even wrapped in cloths. No eye looked with pity on you to do any of these things for you, to have compassion on you. Rather, you were thrown out into the open field, for you were abhorred from the day you were born. When Israel was born as a nation, nobody around them helped them. Everybody around them hated them and hate them to this day. the things that Israel had to go through uh, just because, sorry, don't mean to, just because she was created by God as this special people. You know, there, it was not a great nation that, that God chose to make the nation of Israel. Yes? I think, you know, there obviously the nation of Israel was birthed when when uh, Abraham uh, was given, you know. So that's the genesis of the nation of Israel. But when she became identifiable as a nation, I think is when she was brought out of Egypt in this context. So, you know, before then, before they went to Egypt, you know, it was still just a tribe. Uh, you know, family group. I mean, it was a sizable family group. You can't have 12 kids every time 
every generation and not be a lot of people with all their their servants and everything. So it was a good good body of people who went to Egypt. But when they came out, now all of a sudden there's they're traveling with what a million people or more uh, in the Exodus from Egypt. And then when they came into Canaan, when God brought them into Canaan, you know they being nomads in the desert for 40 years during that punishment, uh, once they were brought into Canaan and began their conquest of the lands, uh, all the nations around them wanted them defeated. Uh, so this, this illustration here of, of a baby being abandoned and, and not taken care of, uh, you know, they're un, Israel as a nation was unwanted by the world and ignored by them. But the next part of the, the chapter describes it a little bit. But when I, this is God, when I passed by you and saw you squirming in your blood, I said to you while you were in your own blood, live. Yes, I said to you while you were in your blood, live. I made you numerous like the plants of the field. Then you grew up and became tall and reached the age for fine ornaments. Your breasts were formed and your hair had grown, yet you were naked and bare. It was God who uh, took care of them in the infancy of this, this nation. Uh, you know, they would have perished in their, own, uh, in their own depravity had they not, you know, their lack of everything, had not God taken them in. You know, the Lord... Uh, you know, if we look at Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 7 and 8, you know, the reason God gave his attention to Israel is this. The Lord did not set his love on you nor choose you because you were more in number than any other people. You weren't a great nation when I chose you. Uh, for you were the least of all peoples. But because the Lord loves you and because he would keep the oath which he swore to his fathers. You know, it wasn't because Israel was this great or holy people. They were weak, poor, struggling, and, and near death, but God passed them and took notice. You know, he, said, he said, live, and he took care of them. He gave them what they needed in order to, to grow and to be strong and to mature and to become the, the nation that they became. You know, under God's care, they became larger and stronger. Uh, they became very beautiful as a nation and came into their own. Uh, but yet, even, even though they had grown and become strong, they were naked and bare. They still needed that God's protection uh, upon them. Uh, but they, they had not yet or had not become so self-sufficient that they didn't need God any longer. Uh, then in verse 8, it says, Then I passed by you and saw you, and behold, you were at the time for love. You had grown up. You had become a nation. So I spread my skirt. Some translations say wings. So I spread my wings over you and covered your nakedness. I also swore to you and entered a covenant with you so that you became mine declares the Lord. He spread his wings over them and, and covered them. You know, this figure, uh, 
describes God's love for this nation of Israel and his relationship to them. They were grown, yet still needed uh, help and needed needed protection. Uh, they needed God's protection. You know, the the spreading of the wings over them like a chick nests nest her chicks. Uh, and God gave them both. He gave them protection and, and entered into a covenant with them. This covenant is likened uh, to a marriage covenant, which is the highest form of marriage. So this is where Israel became God's wife, if you will. <laughs> uh, you know, that's kind of the p- picture that we're talking about here. You know, God gave them this protection and he brought them in and gave them all the advantages of being God's special bride. I swore an oath to you and entered into a covenant with you, it says. You know, more than protecting, more than just merely protecting, uh, he entered into that covenant relationship with them. Uh, And it says, you became mine. So this this figure sets forth for us uh, what what God's heart feels for us and what He desires from us in return. His love is the strongest and tenderest, and He looks for a return of that love in the form of loyalty and obedience. Continuing on, then I bathed you with water and washed off your blood from you and anointed you with oil. I also clothed you with embroidered cloth and put sandals of of porpoise skin on your feet. And I wrapped you with fine linen and covered you with silk. I adorned you with ornaments and put bracelets on your hands and a necklace around your neck. I also put a ring in your nostril, earrings in your ears, and beautiful crown on your head. Thus you were adorned with gold and silver, and your dress was like fine linen silk and embroidered cloth interesting to note here silk isn't mentioned in the bible very often this is one of the few places where silk the word the hebrew word for silk is used Uh, so you know here the picture that's being painted with all these adornments and the and the covering with oil and all of this is is not just taken care of but well taken care of he made them a prosperous nation that by Solomon and David's, David and Solomon's time uh, was very wealthy, uh, covered with gold and, and precious jewels and, and fine cloths, you know, not just, not just a, a burlap sack thrown across your shoulders. It was a linen cloth, embroidered cloth, silk cloth, fine trappings that, that God did for his people. Uh, it says, uh, continuing on in verse 14, you ate fine flour, honey, and oil. So you were exceedingly beautiful and advanced to mature to royalty. Then your fame went forth from the nations on account of your beauty, for it was perfect because of my splendor that I be, which I bestowed upon you, declared, declares the Lord. So all of these things that God did for the nation of Israel, building them up from an abandoned, like, like an abandoned baby thrown in the field, uh, he took them out of that circumstance and made them a great nation. And the things that he did for them made them the envy of the world. 
the whole world uh, heard of their fame and of the, of their success, and they had everything. They had. They were given the law. They were given uh, the temple. They were, you know, the glory of God dwelt with them. Again, we've talked about this in the past. All of the privileges that they had as the people of God was there. And so as we continue on in, in, in Ezekiel, looking at, chapter, at verse 15, I didn't go to the right place, did I? All of these things that, that were good. So verse 15 says, And you appreciated everything I did for you so much that you did everything I asked you to do and lived happily ever after. Oh, it doesn't say that? So verse 15 says, But you trusted in your beauty and played the harlot because of your fame, and you poured out your harlotries on every passerby who was willing. So all of these things that God had given them, because of his covenant relationship for them, because of his love for them, the blessings that he gave them, the gold, the silver, the fine buildings, the temples, the temple, all of these things that they gave him, all he asked in return was obedience and loyalty. And they did not do that. So, you know, he paints this picture of a harlot that, that, that just gives away herself to anybody that passes, to any passerby. And the, the, the verses following here, you know, all, all of these things that are mentioned, uh, in particular, the idolatry, the the turning away from God and turning to other gods of the land that they were in, of the Canaanites, uh, the setting up of temples, the setting up of the Asherah poles, uh, all of the things that, that were happening to Israel during this time uh, are pointed out here in this chapter in the verses following. Again, I'm not going to go into detail. Uh, with that, you can read that on your own, and I encourage you to do so, probably not as a, as a family Bible reading time, but you know, just as you study on your own the things that 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 were pointed out, uh, you know, the even to the point of sacrificing their children, they made shrines in high places. In verse thirty-one, you built your shrine at the beginning of every street, at the, every corner. There was a shrine to some some god other than Jehovah God. Uh, you know, the, the rebukes of Israel sinned by the prophets uh, of Israel, uh, Jeremiah and, and Ezekiel and Daniel and others, Israel. Uh, uh, yeah. Is, Israel turned away from God. You know, all these rebukes uh, in, in the other prophets, you know, were pointed, but, but none of them are as vivid as... as uh, this commentator said, none of them are so vivid, venomous, sordid, and piercing as the words that we see here in chapter 16 of the book of Ezekiel. Jerusalem deserved the punishment that was coming. She had worked overtime, <laughs> if you will, uh, to deserve such a rebuke 
time and time again, she turned away from the prophets that were giving them warning about, about where they were heading and what they were doing and did not turn back to God. Uh, Israel began by forgetting an important principle. Everything good they were, everything good they had, were the gift of God's grace to them. You know, s- later Paul wrote of the same principle, not for the people of Israel, but for Christians. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 4, 7, it says this, For who regards you as superior? What did you have that you did not receive from God? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? The blessings that we have as Christians from God, because God loves us, and he gives us blessings each and every day. Every breath we take is a blessing from God. All these blessings that come from God's hand aren't because we deserve it. You know, I've said up here before, you know, I thank God every day I don't get what I deserve. You know, as a, as a sinner, as, as, a, as a man uh, from the line of, of Adam, you know, we are all born with a sin nature, and we all do things that fall short of the perfection that God requires of us. And through his grace, he's given me forgiveness. Uh, Christ paid, we're going to do the, the, the sacrament of, of communion later to remember that sacrifice that Jesus made on our behalf and for our benefit and in payment in full for the sins that we have committed. You know, I didn't just, I didn't just deserve God's wrath for the, the sin nature I was born with. I deserve God's wrath for the things that I did as a sinning man. And God forgive me for the things that I continue to do and fall short. Uh, but God gave a path. God made a path through Jesus Christ to give us those blessings. And in the same way, he was blessing the children of Israel uh, during Ezekiel's, or before Ezekiel's time. He had given them all these blessings, all the privileges that they had, and all those things did was make them feel proud, uh, make them feel like they deserved all this recognition from the world, like we sometimes can get proud. I'm not saying anybody in here does. I think you know, <laughs> never mind, I won't go there. Because I could speak for myself. You know, there are times when I look at the poor beggar and say, thank God I am not that person. Uh, and, you know, it, it's convicting sometimes to, to realize that the blessings that we have come from God's hand, yet I take them for myself. And the nation of Israel was doing this very same thing. So they deserved this punishment. They deserved what they were about to receive uh, from God's hand by God turning his face against them. You know, he turned away from them this protection that he had given them. He was going to withdraw for a time. Uh, But thankfully, that's not the end of the story. We can get down to the end of verse in, in Ezekiel, you know, Ezekiel, I'm on 16, I don't have a slide for this, but Ezekiel 16, verse 59, For thus says the Lord God, I will also do with you as you have done. You have despised the oath by breaking the covenant. 
So by not honoring God, God was in turn going to bring punishment upon Israel. And again, you can read through the list, but the, the list is horrendous. Those things which they did in disobedience to God, in setting up other gods, in being the harlot, and and not being faithful to their God, uh, which they did repeatedly and often. But thankfully, chapter 16 doesn't end at verse 59. In verse 60, it says this, Nevertheless, I will remember my covenant with you in the days of your youth, and I will establish an everlasting covenant with you. Despite all this, uh, despite the certainty of oncoming judgment, God would not forget his covenant with Israel, the promises that he made. They would continue to have a special plan in his plan of the ages, and therefore God's plan in his heart. Continuing on, then you will remember your ways and be ashamed when you receive your sisters, both your older and your younger. Again, this is a, a, an allusion uh, to if you read earlier in the in the chapter, starting at verse fifty-three, uh, it it kind of alludes to the idea that that the lost tribes, quote unquote, lost tribes of the northern tribes that had been scattered would be brought back to be with them in their restoration. That that Israel, the northern tribes of Israel, would also uh, be brought back to fellowship with God along with uh, with Judah and and those tribes. So that's that's the allusion here to the sisters, older and younger. And I will give them to you as daughters, but not because of your covenant. Thus I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall know that I am the Lord, so that you re- may remember and be ashamed and never open your mouth anymore because of your, because of your humiliation when i have forgiven you all that you have done the lord declares god's providing a path for israel to come back in proper fellowship with with him uh, and it was through the nation of israel that the path for all the world uh, was brought to bear so that God's fellowship with his creation could be restored the way it was intended to be in the Garden of Eden. The fellowship that God had with Adam and Eve was personal, was face-to-face. Uh, that hasn't been around for thousands of years. And we are looking forward to that day when, because of the path that God made for the nation of Israel to be restored so that Christ could be born and make that sacrifice for us, all the world should be blessed through the nation of Israel. That path, that, that means of restoration, God provided him again. And it was not, uh, you know, not plan B. You know, God knew that his people would be disobedient from the beginning of time, just like he knew that that we would be disobedient. And he needed to provide that way for us all to be restored to fellowship with him through the sacrifice and forgiveness. God's going to forgive the sins of Israel. God, through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, forgives the sins that each one of us commit. So that's the message here. 
in, in verses 15 and 16. Yes, Israel had become that broken vine, that, that useless vine. Uh, but God, through discipline and punishment, uh, was going to restore Israel. And here in this passage in verse 61 through 63, uh, you know, points out that, that Israel would remember what they did to deserve this punishment and be humiliated by it. Uh, when, you are t- uh, when we are tempted to become proud of the, the position that we have as Christians, we need to understand that God will discipline us uh, to give us back that proper perspective that, that is, as, as we saw earlier, uh, you know, who, who am I <laughs> that God should, should take an interest in me? I've done nothing. Anything good that I am, anything good that I have comes from the hand of God and the blessings from God that he allows me to enjoy. So these, the, the idea that, that, is, that Israel would be uh, brought back into fellowship with God through this path that God provided, that we all as Christians have been given a, a, an opportunity to have fellowship restored with God through this path that God intended it says in Proverbs, I'm going to close with this. It says in Proverbs 3, verses 12 and 13, and it says this, My son, do not, do not reject the discipline of the Lord or loathe his reproof. For whom the Lord loves, he reproves, even as a father corrects the son in whom he delights. Whom the Lord loves, he reproves so that we can have that fellowship with him. He gives us correction in order to bring us back into fellowship with him. And that's, that's why he's done this. And I know it's early, but I'm going to close. Let's close with a word of prayer. Father, we are grateful for the blessings that come from your hand. We know we are nothing. We are, we are uh, but dust of the ground, but for your hand upon us and your blessings upon us. We can achieve nothing through our own efforts, but through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, we are restored to fellowship with you. And we look forward to that day when you call us home. We look forward to that time when, when Jesus is set up as king of this earth for a thousand years. And we look forward to the time of eternity Uh, that we can spend in fellowship with you in a new heaven and a new earth. Father, help us to always look forward and to always be grateful uh, when your hand disciplines us when we deserve it, Uh, when your hand brings us comfort uh, through the the saving grace that, that we get from Jesus Christ. Help us to bring honor and glory to you in the way that we live our lives, and, and thank you for your rebuke upon us when we stray from, from what we should be doing. Help us to be always aware of the blessings from your hand. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. And thank you.